0: Oh, welcome to Bible study, everybody. Good to see you tonight glad you're here we're going to take a little bit and pray and then we'll get started with our Bible study so let's pray Heavenly Father thanks for the life that you give and we thank you for a life that uh, you say you give and is abundant and so we believe you tonight uh, with a simple faith for not only life but that more abundantly and we thank you Jesus that you're the provider you're the creator That you speak life into us, and so we receive of you tonight. We ask God that you'd fill us. We pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to uh, help us to understand. We pray, Father, that uh, we would have an open heart and an open mind to receive all that you want to give us and all that you want to show us tonight. So we pray you have your way. I ask God that we would yield to you, we'd yield to your will. We'd yield to your purposes. We'd yield to your word. We ask God that uh, we'd just be open, really open to what you want to say and do. I pray for change tonight, and ask God that you'd have your way. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. You could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible Study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Seeing as when this is being recorded, I'd just like to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. I'm not going to speak about Christmas tonight, but Merry Christmas. Christmas will come and go before we meet again. so Hebrews chapter 11. I need a volunteer to read verses 5 and 6.
1: By faith, Edith was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him
0: he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All right, thanks for reading that. So we have a just a, a brief account here in Hebrews uh, about Enoch, and really the accounts about Enoch are fairly brief throughout the Bible. Uh, there's a brief account about Enoch in the book of Genesis, and then you see him show up again couple other places jude is a place where enoch shows up and they talk about him a little bit so we get a little more insight into him from there but uh he was someone who if you look at the generations that came before him uh according to our genealogy we have in the scriptures he was seventh from adam and likely lived in a fairly wicked time uh when he uh, was part of his life Uh, we know that those that would come after him, and Noah specifically, lived during a time where the inclination of people's hearts was to do wickedness all the time. And so that, that's really bad. And, and I, I emphasize this every time we read about Noah in that, that that time was so wicked that people just did wicked things all the time. And so we have not seen a wickedness like that. No matter how things, how bad things appear or seem to be at any point in time, we've not seen that kind of wickedness again since the days of Noah. And so just to (coughs) emphasize the fact that that kind of a wickedness uh, was building over generations. And understanding that these generations were super long. These guys were living, the patriarchs that came after Adam, I mean, they lived for really long periods of time, 800, 900 years, and so they were all alive during time frames where people that you think would have come a lot later on would know some of the people or be able to speak to some of the people that were born hundreds of years before them. I don't know if that makes any sense, you understand what I'm saying by that? So in other words, if you were someone and you, let's say you waited, and you had your first child when you were 150 years old, well, then they went and had children, and so there'd be several generations that would come after them, and if a person's 900 years old, how many generations would be able to go back to that person and speak to them? And so these were generations that had an influence over those that came after them, and it was a longer influence than what we would normally consider, because our lifespan is 80 something years, I don't know what the average lifespan is right now, but somewhere around 80 years. And so you look at that 80 to 120 years lifespan compared to 900 years, you're not going to see as many generations as they did. And so we have to understand that the influence that the patriarchs had, especially those that came from Adam down through Noah, the influence that they had was tremendous over the people that came after them. Abraham. Abraham was able to speak back to and be able to meet with and be able to hear the wisdom of those that had come before him. But you have to think hundreds of years before because they would still have been alive during that time. And so he would have been able to speak to somebody that was even closer to, say, the generation of Adam, uh, perhaps the generation of Seth or, or whoever would come after them. And so understanding that is to understand that, that uh, Noah, I'm sorry, I said Abraham, I meant Noah, would be able to speak to the generations that come before him and would be able to glean from that wisdom, be able to glean from that understanding of God, be able to glean from that how to worship God, be able to glean from that how to serve God, be able to glean from that how to please God. All of those things that have been passed down through all of these generations. They would have been able to see, they would have been able to understand, and they would have been able to experience. And so that's a lot of wisdom. Because you think about it, in the Old Testament, I, and I talk about this quite a bit, this idea of primitive faith. And this is a, a faith without any kind of a formal religion that we know of. the The ancient world was, we don't know how long. We don't know how long the ancient world existed for. We don't know how long the uh that even that Adam and Eve existed in the garden before that they were booted out of the garden, so we don't really have a good time frame on all of that. we don't have a good time stamp on any of it, and so the ancient world likely lasted for thousands of years and if you think about thousands of years, how much progress can be made in thousands of years, a lot of progress because uh, people weren't stupid. <laughs> And we often think about people in the past as being stupid, but they weren't. And we have no reason to really believe that. I mean, most of the modern ideas that we have about mathematics came from thousands of years ago. Most of the ways that we understand how, how area is figured or volume is figured, how we understand different things about uh, the way mathematics is structured came from thousands of years ago. Uh, these were people that understood their world, and they understood what was going on around them. And so we we have no idea, because everything was wiped out. Uh, we have no idea what the ancient world really even looked like. And so without going too far into that, I just wanted to set a scene that Enoch was somebody that was living probably in some wickedness. They were probably, not him, but living among people who were living in wickedness. They They were likely... Of people that were everything was starting to go bad and so he was alive during that and so i don't want to give any kind of false idea in your mind about well things were just good and so he was just living in the good well things probably weren't so good and things probably weren't so holy and things probably weren't so awesome and he was living in whatever was going on during his day which i couldn't imagine would have been any better than what's happening during our day, and so so Enoch's one of those guys that when it, when it speaks to him as being, you know, living amongst whatever generation he was living was, there was likely a wicked generation that he was living amongst. So he is an example, and that's why he's included in Hebrews chapter eleven, is the idea of being an example. And what's he an example of? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is full of examples of faith. And so Enoch is being commended and being pointed out and being brought up in Hebrews chapter 11 as someone who is an example to us of what faith looks like, what faith is. And and so looking at his life, we begin to get an understanding of, okay, this is an aspect of faith that we need to understand, that we need to somehow be able to apply to our life he's also an example because the bible talks about him and the reason people know enoch if they know who he is is because he was translated and the word translate just means that he went from one place to another and so the the bible describes what happened to him as that he was around and then he wasn't but he never died so he was just taken and, and interestingly he is an example of the what's what is going to happen when Jesus comes for his second advent in other words we celebrate this time of year we celebrate the first advent of Christ in other words he was born as a baby and he uh, God took on flesh uh he was translated he was transformed transitioned into flesh God was the word into jesus so jesus became a person well that's what we celebrate this time of year is the first advent his first coming and so we have an understanding so the word became flesh that's jesus and dwelt among us so that was his first advent he came as a baby well we know from the scriptures the second time he comes the second advent he's not coming as a baby again but he's coming as a conquering king And what's being described in that is that the people who are still here, the believers that are still here, will be translated when he returns. They'll be taken. And there's a popular book and film series about this that some of you, if you're a certain age group, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not. But uh, it's this whole idea that we're around, Jesus comes back, boom, we're gone. right? Some people are afraid of that, some people think that sounds great, but whatever. Fear. What's that? Childhood fear. Childhood fears, yeah. And, and truly, I mean, you know, people, yeah, it affects people different ways. And so, so this Enoch is like an example of that. Like, what happens when, Jesus, when God comes and gets you? Well, that's what happens. You're just gone. And so that's the way this happened with Enoch. He was no longer found, and we have an example of that with Elijah. What does it mean? He's no longer found. Well, some of the translations say that he was no longer found. In other words, people looked for him. So if somebody came up missing, right, you go looking for him. Well, Enoch somehow disappeared, and so people went and looked for him, but they couldn't find him. It's kind of like Elijah. You remember the story of Elijah? Chariots came down, got Elijah, took him away while he was still alive. But the Bible speaks of after he was taken away in 2 Kings 2.17, that they went around looking for him. Like maybe he was somewhere else, but they couldn't find him. So, so we, we have a hard time, I think, sometimes really getting a hold of this in our brains that you have this guy who was, he was living his life out, been around for a lot of years and all of a sudden was just gone elijah in in his prime of of prophesying and doing miracle signs wonders or whatever and there he was one day and and then he was taken up in a chariot and was gone and so they looked for him they want to find him but they couldn't look for Enoch; he couldn't find him he wasn't around anymore but in our human ways we tend to think in those kind of terms, but that's not really just that's not how God thinks. And so without applying too much of our human ways to what God's going to do, kind of look at it and see, just at face value, say, all right, well, he was not. Some of your Bibles would say translated, and that's a really simple uh, word. That word translate, it just means it denotes a change of place is all it denotes, a change of place. And in the Hebrew, it says this He was not, for God took him. So he was not. Somebody look at uh, Genesis chapter 5. We'll look at the original piece here, uh, passage. Genesis chapter 5, I need a volunteer to read verses 21 through 24. All right, so it, you know, again, getting a feel for the generations during that time were just super long. The generations were just massive in their length. And, and so it just describes how they overlapped and, and why that's important to the, to the perpetuation of faith and why that was important to the perpetuation of what God was doing is that there were just people able to continually model that and continually teach that and continually speak that forth over time. So there was no organized religion that we know of. It was just people's faith. And that they practiced their faith and they practiced what they believed and they lived out what they believed. That's what they did. And so you, you read things from the Old Testament, and especially from this time frame, uh, no law. No, nothing. No rules, no regs, no book telling you what. It just was. And people were responding to a living God. They were responding in a living relationship with their God. And that's how it happened. And what you had was a, a, an oral history that was passed down from generation to generation. But again, think about how long the generations were and what kind of an effect that could have over time. You have the same person telling the same story for 700 years. That's powerful. And all of the generations that came during that 700 years heard the same story from the same person. Do you follow what I'm saying? There was no telephone game. And that's why that was important. And that's why these generations were able to carry on this faith for as long as they did. So let look at Jude chapter 1. Jude 1 verses 14 and 15 It was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied saying Behold the Lord comes with 10000s of his to execute judgment on all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. All right. So a couple things you want to pull from this. Ungodly was his favorite word. No. A couple things that you want to pull from this. The first thing you want to pull from this is that he was a prophet. That's the first thing you want to pull. All right, so Enoch was a prophet. He was a patriarch, one of the patriarchs from Adam, but he was also a prophet. Second thing you want to pull from this is what was going on during his day. What was he prophesying toward? What what was he saying? He was saying wickedness. He was saying people turning away from God. He was saying people turning away from the things that God was doing. He was saying people not having, you know, not, not living the way that they should be living. That's what he was talking about. And so that's what he was seeing. That's what was going on around him. But he also spoke not only to his day, but he was speaking toward a future. And he understood that there was a future. He understood that there was something that was going to happen. And so he could see down the road. So those are a few of the things that you pull from that. Uh, I'm not going to pull anything specific from it. Like, well, what's it, who is he specifically talking to or anything else like that? We don't need to pull that. All we need to look at is that a prophet he is speaking to evil, which was going on around him during his day, but he's also speaking toward the future, and understand it, there's a future and there's something that's about to happen. So that's what's going on. So we get to uh, Hebrews 11. Those are a couple spots where Enoch's mentioned. We get to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 pretty much quotes Genesis. And, and what you see here is it starts off by faith that's how what goes on in Hebrews 11 by faith so-and-so by faith so-and-so so right now it's by faith Enoch in other words the the idea of faith is a firm faith in the being of God now what do I mean by that a firm faith in the being of God what I mean by that is that that's who God reveals himself as why is that important Because that's important because it's not who you want him to be. It's not who you think he is. It's not who your Sunday school teacher told you is necessarily. It's who he reveals himself as. Well, what if that's offensive to you? I don't care, all right? He don't care. He doesn't try to be offensive to you, but maybe there's certain parts about God's revelation that you don't like. I I can't answer to that. But faith is that thing which allows us to take hold of who God is based on his revelation of himself, not on what we want. And there's a big difference between just believing in who God is and who God reveals himself as or believing in the God that you've created. Those are two different things. One's an idol, one's God. The idol is always somebody that you like. That's the friendly God that you make up. You know, and I'm not saying God's not friendly. I'm just saying that friendly to you, friendly to your sensibilities, friendly to the way that you see the world, friendly to the way you want the world to be or whatever it is. You've got an idea of who you want God to be. And if that's the God that's in your head and that's the God that you believe in, you kind of mix that up. You mix that up because God's going to reveal himself for who he is. He calls us into faith as to who he really is, not who we want him to be. You know, you're running people that, oh, God did this to me, or God said this, or God didn't do this thing that I wanted him to do when I wanted him to do it, and they get all bitter about God. Well, you always get bitter at the God that you make up, because the God that you make up doesn't really move. The God that you make up doesn't really work in your life. The God that you make up doesn't really answer prayer. That's not the God that we serve. That's the God you made up. And so the God you made up is awesome until you need something. He's awesome until you want him to do something. He's awesome until you need for him to move in a situation and you pray to the God that you made up and nothing happens and you get bitter and upset and angry. Why? Because he didn't do what you told him to do. When well, he's supposed to do what you told him to do if you make him up, well, sure. But there's no power in that. Are you following what I'm saying? There is no power in your imagination to affect your life in the world. There's just not. I mean, you can believe there is all you want, but there's not. God is going to do what God does. God, the real God, he actually responds to our prayers. The real God actually hears us when we pray. The real God actually knows the the things that are going on in our life, actually knows when we have need, actually knows when things are happening in our life, and the real God can actually respond when we pray. That's the truth. And so if we're going to exercise faith, we have to define that faith as in the god who reveals himself not the one in your head because faith in the god in your head isn't going to produce anything and that's why that is important that's a distinctive by faith then fill in the blank something's going to happen if it's real That faith is really in the God who reveals himself. That faith is really in the God who has shown himself. That faith is really in the God who actually is and not just the one we make up. By faith, lives are changed. By faith, things happen. By faith, things are affected. But that's faith in the God who can, in the real God of the universe. And I want to encourage you away from just making stuff up about God, if I can. And that might sound obvious, like, oh yeah, I don't want to do that. Well, then stop. Then stop. How do you know who God is? Well, he reveals himself in the scriptures. How do you know who God is? Why don't you spend some time in worship and prayer? How do you know who God is? Well, he shows himself. He reveals himself and there are certain things that you may not be comfortable with i understand that it's still who he is i I guarantee you that if you encounter the real god of the universe you know the god that made everything the god that rules over everything in him by him and through him all things are held together that god there's going to be certain things about him that you're uncomfortable with yeah because he's big and he's powerful and he does what he wants. He emphasizes the fact you're not God. He emphasizes the fact you can't do it. He emphasizes the fact you're not powerful. He emphasizes the fact that you ain't got it all figured out. He emphasizes the fact that you don't know what you're doing half the time. He emphasizes the fact that you need him by his very nature. And that makes people uncomfortable. Sorry. Not sorry. He just does it. And so that's the God that we serve. Yeah, I, it's funny because, you know we see Jesus a certain way. I'll use Jesus because He's a human example. But you look at Jesus and, and you know like <laughs> the silly discussion they, they had. In that movie about Jesus you know how do you want us how do you see Jesus well I prefer to see Jesus as, you know a little eight pounds six ounce baby Jesus in a golden fleece manger okay that's Jesus I prefer to see all right well that that's part of who is life. that's part of his life you know or I prefer to see whatever it is all right the the and I when I was coming up through faith after I got saved people would often talk about Jesus because they wanted to bring Jesus into a place, and people into a place with Jesus were of intimacy. Because intimacy was like one of those buzzwords at the time. Every worship song had to do with intimacy, to the point that it seemed like we were dating Jesus when we were singing these songs. Yeah. Like, no, seriously, like we were singing love songs to Jesus, you know? Which which may have worked for some people, but didn't work for me, all right? I mean, it just didn't. I, you know, Yeah. And so, but that was a big deal. And there's a big deal with the whole intimacy move and the whole intimacy thing. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it per se, because, yeah, we do need intimacy with God. And we need to be close to him, and we need to have that kind of relationship with him. Because for so long, people lived so far away, and they live at such a distance with him that that wasn't healthy. And, and there is certain things that aren't healthy about that. I mean, Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I mean, he said that and he says abide with me and i'll abide with you those are all yeah that that's truth that's bible truth and so there is a, a there is there needs to be a certain closeness and there needs to be a, a certain proximity that we have to him a certain relationship that we have with him a certain relation that we have an understanding and friendship that we have with him he calls us friends greater greater love is no man is laid down his life for his friends us he laid down his life for us no friend will ever show us any greater love than what Jesus did. He is our friend. All that stuff is true. And and so, but when I was coming up, it was like, you know, a pendulum swing. So we went from everybody's scared of God to everybody's getting intimate, singing love songs, <laughs> all right? And so, so I'd be part of, you know, different discussions, or I'd hear guys preaching on it, and they'd talk about, like, This whole idea about Jesus and how when I see Jesus I'm gonna run up to him and I'm gonna big hug and and he's gonna hug me back and I'm just gonna sit with him for a while and all this stuff and okay all right pendulum swing follow me here pendulum swing but I got a little problem with that and and that is like like Jesus' favorite right John that guy John the, the gospel writer john first john second john third john john that guy Jesus' favorite the disciple whom jesus loved that's how he described himself and whether or not jesus loved him more than the other disciples i don't know but he thought he did and that's how close he was to him all right his disciple laid his head in jesus's chest and rested there i mean that's pretty close that's physically close to jesus well in the book of Revelation, he's the guy receiving the revelation. Jesus appears right in front of him, and the Bible tells us he falls on his face as a dead man. That ain't running up and giving him a big hug. All right, you following me on this? All right, so I'm not, I'm not naysaying the intimacy side of this. I'm not naysaying the friendship side of this. All I'm saying is, is that as the revelation of God comes, there's an understanding there are certain things about him as he reveals himself to us that may and likely will make us feel a little bit uncomfortable it just doesn't mean it's wrong it just means that's who he is it doesn't mean we can't trust him of course we can it doesn't mean we can't find rest in him of course we can it doesn't mean we can't love him of course we can love him and he loves us no one will ever love us any more than he does but it doesn't mean that the God of the universe isn't going to shock me every now and then. It doesn't mean that the God of the universe isn't going to do something that I never thought of, or do something that I think he should do something else on, or we're going to disagree, or whatever it's going to be. And I hope you can kind of understand what I'm saying. By faith, faith in what? Faith in the God of the universe as he reveals himself so you have to cultivate that faith in you you do you, you can't inherit it it can't be given to you but and it has to occur in such a place a dynamic place that as god moves in ways that we understand and ways that we don't. As God moves, doing things that we want Him to do and doing things we don't want Him to do. As God moves, answering stuff and not answering stuff that we pray, we still have that kind of a faith. That's the kind of faith that's being spoken of here. And so it was by this faith, and this is a big faith, This is a faith beyond what we necessarily want or what we expect. It's just a faith in who God is. And this faith, it says, by faith Enoch was taken. He was translated. In other words, he changed places. He was removed in a sudden fashion. In a miraculous manner. The Bible tells us, because people try to explain this away. Why in the world would Christians try to explain this away? But they do. Well, it just means he died. No, in fact, it says here he did not see death. Nope. It describes it very specifically as a miraculous translation. And yet you'll still hear Christians be like, well, it just means he died. No, it doesn't. He didn't. And so don't let him fool you on that one. Because it says that, very specifically, he did not see death. And so it talks about Enoch, and it says about him, it says he was known as. And some of the Bibles, uh, some of your Bibles, uh, some translations say that he had a witness born to him or it was testified, or testimony was given about him. In other words, people knew who he was. And they knew him well enough to be able to testify as to who he was. So he wasn't someone living in a vacuum. He wasn't someone living in a cave. He wasn't someone locked up in his house. He wasn't someone that just... He has just stayed away from everything and that withdrew from his society but he was someone that people knew and he was someone that was sharing life he was someone that was making himself known to the people around him as i was saying before he was part of that patriarchal generations that were coming after Adam that they were the carry they were the ones that were carrying the testimony of God. They were the ones that were carrying the faith. They were the ones that were carrying worship with them. They were the ones that were carrying the teachings that they had with them. They were the carriers of the primitive faith. So he had to be known. If he was going to go about the work that God had called him to do. As a prophet, he was going to go about the work that God called him to do as someone that was going to carry the faith to the next generation and the next one and the next one and the next one. That was part of who he was. And the reason in this, if you don't understand why I'm saying this, there'll come a day where I pray that maybe you'll understand why I'm saying this. Maybe there'll come a day where, where you come into an understanding as to why this is important. Why it's important that he wasn't living his life in seclusion. Why it was important that he wasn't just living his life locked up in a house somewhere or locked up in a cave somewhere. But he was living his life out loud, and he was living his life out in front of people, and he was living his life out where people could see him and understand him and see who he was so they could give testimony about it. He was known. He was known. In fact, he was known well. If you can bear witness about someone, then you know. You know some of us have tendencies toward being by ourselves and all i can say is is that god didn't create us to live by ourselves that's all i can tell you but he calls us to live our lives out out with one another outside where people can see out loud where people can hear in such a place that we could be a people who carry the truth and bear the truth. So by faith, by faith, Enoch was taken. And the Bible says that he was known as someone, a person, who pleased God or was well-pleasing to God. And so... That's why he's put in Hebrews 11. We need, to imitate, we need to imitate that faith. In other words, this is the faith that is pleasing. This is the life that is pleasing. This is the testimony that is pleasing. This is the person that's pleasing to God. And it's by faith. So that's the faith we need to imitate. What faith was that? The faith in who God says he is, not in who we want him to be. And it's by that faith that we obtain and that we show ourselves as a people who are pleasing, well pleasing to God. Because if you want to please God, according to this passage here, it makes a statement. It says, if you want to please God, it requires faith. If you want to please God, it requires faith. What kind of faith? The kind of faith I've been talking about. And I'm going to say this, and you're going to be like, yeah, it's got to be more than that. You're going to tell me that. Even if you don't say it out loud, I know you're thinking it. It's by faith alone. That's how we please God. It's by faith alone. And you can argue with me about it you can tell me, no, it's got to be this, this, and this. It's got to be something else. It's gotta be, there's got to be more to it than that. And I know I've heard the arguments. I understand it. But my, what I believe, and what I believe this passage tells us, is by faith alone. Why? Because without faith, and it's one of those absolute statements in the Bible, without faith it is, what's the word I'm going to say? Impossible. Impossible. Impossible to please God. Faith, faith is the basic component if we're ever going to please God. Yeah, um, and it's that. Just hold the word faith in your head. It's that thing, faith. If you don't have it, it's impossible hear that word, impossible, that's an absolute word, It is without possibility, without faith, you do not have any possibility of pleasing God. And and if you really understand that, that will help you put a premium on faith. Because if somewhere in your head you still believe you're going to please God some other way, then you don't have the right premium on faith in your life. If you think somehow, oh, I'm going to be a good person, he'll love that. (laughs) He doesn't care, okay, in that sense. So you're not going to please him by being that good person. You you kind of follow what I'm saying? Faith alone, and that's why I said faith alone. And I know that sounds like such a a crazy statement. Faith alone is what God requires to please him. That's what he's looking for. Because you can have other components Without faith, you have all these different things, anything you want, all this other stuff, it doesn't matter. Faith is required. And without it, you cannot, without any possible hope of ever, please God without faith. Because you know what Enoch proves? You can please God without the law. You can please God without without uh, you know, the New Testament church. You can please God without... Uh, worship like we have it, you can please God without uh, lots of stuff. You can please God without the scriptures. He didn't have the scriptures, there were no Bibles. You can please God without lots of stuff that we think is required to please Him. He didn't have any of those things. He had faith. By faith, by faith is how that happened. And I dare say, I mean, you look at somebody like this. And and look at his life. I want you to think about this for a second. You know, living in the times of the patriarchs, living in the ancient times, the times of primitive faith. I mean, we don't know too many people that just get taken, do we, like that? No. Like, uh, somehow, you know, they're just living by faith, and all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. No. So think about that. Think about the primitive faith, but think about the, the nature of his faith. And that's why I was emphasizing that earlier. The nature of his faith is a faith in the God who's revealed himself. And, and weeding through all the dumb stuff that's in our head and actually believing in the God who's revealed himself. There's something in that. That gives us that opportunity. That is pleasing to God. I mean, if you think about it, doesn't that make sense? When you're looking for people, that you're looking for people that love you, and you're looking for people that that accept you and that care for you, don't you want them to just see you? I mean, seriously, don't don't you want them to just see you, not make up things about you, not. Not not assume things about you, not think, well, this is the way they should be. Or this is the way I want them to be. I mean, that, that's not a real basis for friendship, is it? I, I want you to be who I want you to be, so I'm going to just have that expectation on you all the time. And you're going to disappoint me constantly. You're going to be friends with that person very long? Probably not. Well, our relationship with God is like that, in, in the sense that he wants us to believe in him, he wants us to have faith in him, but in who he reveals. Not that, that the, the, whatever's in our head, not in what we make up, not in what we want, but who he is. And it's that faith, that faith, that's pleasing to God. That's what we imitate, if we want to please God. All right. And so, so we look at Enoch. He set God always before him. In other words, that's what you have to do if you're going to worship him for who he reveals himself as. You set him before you. In other words, I'm not part of that equation. He is who he is. Let him be who he is. So we set him before us, and, and then as we speak, as we live, we're going to live in his presence. What does that mean? That means just a recognition This is a recognition of his presence. You know, things would be way cooler if we just recognized God's presence. Like when we gather, recognize, okay, God, you're here right now. When we get together anytime, you're here right now. When we gather for church, you're here right now. We gather for kinship, you're here right now. But actually recognize, not just going through some kind of a mental ascent, not just go through some kind of an agreement with the Bible. That's, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than, okay, Jesus, you said where you gather in my name, there I am in your midst. Well, he did say that, but what does it mean if you actually recognize that? Okay, and, and that's what I'm going toward, is recognizing his presence. Recognizing his presence we gather. Recognizing his presence in our heart and our life. He says he's with us. Recognize his presence when we go out and do evangelism. Recognize his presence when we minister. Recognize his presence when we prophesy. Recognizing his presence, living in that presence, speaking in that presence. Finding rest, finding peace, finding protection in that presence. Because all those things are right there as we recognize him. So, two things that were given in this passage. Two things is said. It says, This is what you need good primitive faith, right here. Number one, believe God exists. Believe God exists. And what that needs to be is the kind of faith that I'm talking about. Because what's an idol? I mean, I'm not asking for a formal definition, but I want you to think about what an idol is. An idol is a stone carving or wood carving or something like that. that Somebody carves, forms, fashions, sets it on a shelf, and then it gives attributes to it. What attributes? Whatever you want. Especially if it's a local idol or one that is just a household idol. Then you can give it attributes, whatever you want it to do. Oh, this is the God that makes me rich, right? This is the God that, that makes me so that I'm not sick. Why is that the God that makes you so you're not sick? Because that's what you want him to do. Why is that the God that makes you rich? Because that's what you want him to do. But that's what an idol is. You see? You carve it up, and then you tell it what you want it to do. It just doesn't do it. Why? Because it's an idol. It's just a piece of wood or a piece of stone. And so when it's number one, the number one condition of this primitive faith is believe that God exists. In other words, apart from you apart from your brain apart from your wants apart from your desires apart from what you make up apart from your ability to carve it your ability to fashion it your ability to make it you got to believe he exists apart from you he's his own thing and as his own thing he defines himself that's that face that's that face So number one, you need to believe that God exists apart from you. Number two, you need to believe that God rewards those who seek him. In other words, there is a benefit, there is an intrinsic benefit in actually, actually seeking after God in your life. Now, does that mean he does everything you tell him to do? No. Does that mean that he does everything that you expect him to do? Nope. Does that mean that he is exactly and going to tell you exactly what you want him to tell you? No. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means that there is an intrinsic benefit to actually spending time with him, worshiping him, praying, talking to him, listening to him, and seeking after him. There's an intrinsic benefit to that. What's that benefit? I don't know, specifically. I just believe it is. I just believe it is. But that is an act of faith on your part. Because the God who doesn't do whatever you tell him to do, you need to have some kind of faith that what he does do is good for you. You need to trust him. you got to have some kind of faith in that. And those are the two things that we see as far as primitive faith is concerned that are given here. One, believe that God exists, apart from you. Number two, you need to believe that there is an intrinsic value to your life to actually seeking after Him even if he doesn't do what you tell him to do, even if he doesn't do what you expect him to do, even if he doesn't do whatever it is you want him to do, you still have to have a faith that whatever he does is for the best. That is life in him. That's faith. That's faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So all of this, in Enoch specifically, this all speaks to and you look at his life think about this like the the way that he lived the fact that he was taken all these things it speaks to a future state another world because you say where did he go right he didn't just disappear he went somewhere How's that's, that's that's in the word translate yeah, because the idea is go from one place to another so he went somewhere and so the fact he went somewhere speaks to another place, another state, like another point and way of being. The second thing it speaks to is that his body went with him. And that might sound weird, but body is important. We, we kind of look at the body as not being that important, and yet when Jesus came back, when he was resurrected, he had a body, right? He was able to eat. He was able to walk. He still bore the the marks of his death in his body. But he was also able to move freely and go from one place to the other and go through locked doors and stuff like that. So there's all these other things. And he appeared, he disappeared, and all these other stuff. But he still had a body. And so it speaks to that. And it speaks to... The idea that there's body involved in that, that there's a new heaven, that there's a new earth, there's another world, that body still exists there. I mean, you may not be able to glean all this just from this one story, but I do want you to think about it for a second. because It speaks to all those things. You know, Elijah speaks to those things. You think about Elijah going and disappearing in a chariot, where'd he go? Oh up to heaven where's that I don't know but his body went with him he didn't leave the mantle behind cuz Elisha went and picked it up <laughs> we know that but his body went with him that speaks to that yeah, and you think about the trans you know you think about like all the things that happen after this and all the things that happen after uh Uh, the the old testament was done and you think about new testament think about jesus and and all the things that happened with his the death resurrection and all that it all speaks to that um all i can say is is that the reason that's important to us isn't to try to build a theology on it it's just to understand that god's plan has been is continues to be and will be in motion and we think in terms of years, but, man, he thinks in terms of millennia. But it's still yeah. in motion. Still going. Purpose still being fulfilled. Still moving. Still hasn't changed his ways. Hadn't changed his mind. It's happening. And so all I can say is, I think that we need to really glean from this, is the idea of faith. And I, and I hope that's what you got out of this. Is you need to take hold of Faith. What faith? That faith. What's that faith? That faith that believes that God exists, He is. Is what? Is who He says He is. And let Him be the God who He says He is. Believe Him that He rewards those that seek Him. That There is an intrinsic value in going after God. Even if you can't put your finger on what that is. Don't, we're not... We're not dictating to God what that value is. We just believe that whatever he does is for the best and for my good. So I encourage you to allow that to settle in a little bit. Because this is the example, one example that we're given In Hebrews 11, this is what faith is. A man who lived in a time of wickedness, in a time of primitive faith, was a testimony known by those around him. This is how to live. Why don't you pray with me? Father, I just give you thanks that um, some things just don't change. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you that the call to faith hasn't changed. That you call us into a place of believing you. Believing in you and believing you. Believing in the God who reveals himself. The big God, the God of the universe, the God who has created all things, by whom all things are held together. That you spoke and all things are, and that there, there's power in that. And so we believe in you that you've revealed yourself, and that you continue to reveal yourself. That we have the scriptures that show us who you are. We have our times of worship. We have our times of of prayer and that we're constantly seeing more and we're constantly seeing bigger and we're constantly seeing just a a larger picture of who you actually are and so God I thank you for that and I thank you for that revelation and I thank you for that understanding I pray that you raise us up as a people who believe in you who believe in you, the God who is. I just ask you that uh, you teach us a faith, a trust, and that we would enter into a faith and a trust that no matter what you do, it's for our good. And that we could find a rest in that, we can find a peace in that. And God, we can make that kind of a decision a long time before things don't go our way. We can make that decision and put our trust in you a long time before things don't go the way we expect them to. I pray, God, it'd be that we would be able to believe you a long time before things just turn out all weird or confusing to us because we didn't expect it that well, we just believe it. So by faith, by faith, by faith, good things happen. Yeah. I just want to encourage you to allow God to purge some ideas out of you that need to go. Ideas about Him. Things that maybe you're carrying from childhood, maybe you're carrying from trauma, maybe you're carrying from something that you were taught. Maybe you're carrying them from something that was more fol- folklore than it was Bible. But just, you know, let it go. Superstition go in the name of Jesus. Yeah, I just, uh, I just ask you, Jesus, that um, yeah, simplify. Simplify. I pray you cleanse. Cleanse hearts, cleanse minds. Bad ideas, old ideas, silly ideas, childish ideas. Yeah. Just pray we find a big heart and a big trust. And the God who is. I thank you. I give you thanks. God, I pray for some big things in the days ahead. Because I thank you that you respond to a simplicity of faith. So I pray, God, do it your will your purpose your plan i just pray we find ourselves right in the middle of that we give you thanks and praise tonight thanks for your word continue to do your work in us for ask it in jesus name amen amen thanks for coming everybody good to see you tonight
1: UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as you gather for the purpose of life in Christ. Yo, know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you uh-huh. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the Comunidad. Yeah, No, there's a lot of people. Yeah. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of Chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCS continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we homies. You know, yeah.